Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast, hashtag Pitbull Stories Edition. My name is Rachel Laurie Harris. I'm a professional dog trainer, and I'm also the proud owner of an American Staffordshire Terrier that we lovingly call Waylon. In this series, Pitbull Stories, I talk with pitbull owners all over the world, and we share our stories about pitbulls, how we got into pitbulls, how we love pitbulls, what we've learned from them, and how we're advocating for the breed now. I'm really looking forward to sharing these stories and if you'd like to be a part of this series please follow us over on the instagram at a good feeling underscore nco send me a dm i would love to chat and hear your pitbull story enjoy all right ladies and gentlemen everyone welcome back to another episode of disorderly dogs the podcast hashtag pitbull stories I have another special guest with me, you guys. I'm so excited for you to meet her. So, um, okay, Hillary, why don't you go ahead and and tell my listeners about yourself, where you are, tell us about your dogs, who you currently live with. So, uh, my name is Hillary. I live in a pretty small town about an hour north of Vancouver, BC, Canada. Um, it's called Squamish, and it is like the most beautiful place ever. Um, I have, currently right now, I have a two-year-old daughter. Um, I call her my bald puppy. And, <laughs> and um, I live with two uh, bully breed mixes. Uh, one's a rescue. Um, and he is uh, my behaviorally challenged uh, guy. And then um, my other one is um, like an angel, pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so that's them. And yeah, nice. That's about it. (laughs) Okay. So, did you have blocky headed dogs before your current dogs? Yeah. So, I've actually been a bully breed owner for the past um, almost eight years now. Um, My first dog, um, who kind of introduced me to the whole realm, uh, his name was Palmer, and he we actually did a behavioral euthanasia on him when he was four. Um, he suffered from some pretty bad um, dog aggression, and you know, so yeah, I don't want to like put a damper so early well, on it. But that's real, right? Like that—that's yeah. real life, and like yeah. that's brutal that he was your first blocky-headed dog, and that. Yeah. Okay, so tell us more about him. So, how old was he when you got him? So I got him as a puppy. Um, I think he was about fourteen weeks, um, which I think is a little bit. Well, I know it's, it's too late to get a puppy. <laughs> um, ideally anyway, in terms of like the socialization window, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yes. And, um, so yeah, like I got him from a backyard breeder. I remember I was 19 years old. I walked into this big backyard in like not the best part of town. Um, and there was like a litter, it was a massive litter. There was like 12 puppies, maybe even more than that. Um, it was crazy. And then, so I picked the, I picked the puppy that I wanted and, um, they informed me that, um, someone had already claimed that one. So I was like, okay, I picked the next one that I wanted and he was sitting in the corner and I just wanted like a nice calm dog, like nothing too crazy. I didn't plan on having a dog with such severe behavioral issues, obviously, as I'm sure no one does, but, um, yeah, so I chose him and they actually said, oh yeah, no, he, he's a really calm puppy. Like we actually nicknamed him Palmer Palmer, um, which obviously then his name stuck. I named him Palmer. So um, that's sort of um, how 
he came about. <laughs> um, and then I had him for four years. And um, I remember like seeing pretty early signs of like, you know, some red flags in his behavior. Um, I remember when he was six months old, I was at this like very popular dog walking um, trail. And he pinned like a pinned quote unquote a, a golden retriever like a young golden retriever and the woman oh my gosh she lost it on me obviously now thinking about it just because of his breed I'm sure she was freaked out um because of that and um yeah and then like the district called me and everything and like they were like what the heck like you have this like aggressive dog and I'm like he's six months old like the, I you know, I mean, at the time I didn't really know, um, I didn't know what was going on at all. Um, it was pretty overwhelming, but, um, anyway, so after that he, you know, displayed aggressive behavior towards other dogs, like on a regular basis. And, um, it just got worse. And, um, I ended up going to a quote unquote balance trainer that's in our area. And, you know, choke chain and leash corrections and alpha rolls and all this stuff. And, um, that stuff, I feel like for the mo for the, like a normal person, it's not really sustainable. Like, you know what I mean? Like you, you come out of that class and you're like, for the first three days, you're like, I got this. And then you're like, I don't really like this. Like, I don't like to do this. And like, so anyway, so it did, it did work. physically taxing, like yes. the emotional element is aside, right? Like yeah. when you have a larger breed dog and you have to constantly be yanking up on that leash, like yeah. to your point that that's not very sustainable unless you're a fucking bodybuilder, right? <laughs> Which most people are not. So no. it's like, yeah. And I, like, I was this like 20 year old girl, like what the heck am I doing? And, you know, all I know, all that I knew at the time was like Caesar Milan and that sort of TV show um, with that sort of style of training. And so, you know, I try to like put on this persona, like I can do this. Like, whoa. <laughs> and it's, it just, yeah, for me, it wasn't sustainable. So um, anyways, after that, his behavior um, severely worsened. Um, so I'm pretty confident in saying that that was a side effect of that, um, you know, that method of training. Um, and yeah, so then by the time he was four, um, yeah, we ended up euthanizing him for, um, one specific incident and it was just kind of like, this is the decision. Like there wasn't any other options at that point. As soon as it happened, we were like, this is what we're going to do. Um, some dogs are just not meant for this world. They're wired wrong and they can't cope. So yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, you know, um, the listeners of this podcast already know this, right. But I had to make a behavioral, behavioral euthanasia call for a dog that, um, that we fostered. Um, and I think it's one of those things, right. That like, you don't really know it until you live it. And I think that there's a lot of people in the rescue world in particular who, you know, save them all, save them all. And, you know, while I appreciate those people's sentiment, I appreciate their enthusiasm. Um, that is not the reality that we live in. Some dogs are fucking dangerous, right? Yeah. Not yeah. just pit bulls, yeah. right? Every other breed can get to yeah. that status. But once you get to that status and you know the capabilities and the capacities and the damage that dog can do, 
it is often right the most humane option to relieve them of their physical body hundred percent a hundred freaking percent and like you could just see in the way that he dealt with life like on a daily basis like he he didn't know how to like strut his four paws through this world like he had no freaking idea what he was doing he was always alert always on edge and it was just yeah this world was just too much for him but need like aside from that he was a fantastic dog in the house he was amazing he um Hemi, my female currently that I have, uh, she's five and she was a puppy. So she lived with Palmer for the first two years of her life. And um, he was amazing with her. Like, like they didn't resource guard. They like pretty, pretty much shared the food bowl, like amazing, snuggled and were, was amazing, like just so good together. I actually fostered a 110 pound American bulldog, intact male with him. And he was totally fine. Like, it was something about being in his house. I don't know. Anyways, it doesn't really matter. But um, Yeah, but I think that, you know, cool. yeah. And I think, huh. you know, I think it speaks to like, oftentimes I feel like, like, especially in like the pit bull conversation and the aggression conversation, right? Because like, yeah. yes, aggression can be inherited, right? Like, yes, it can live in lineage. But I don't think that the conversation about um, dogs who can be dog aggressive can also do really fucking great with dogs. Yeah. Right? Like, right, like, right, like it's not every <laughs> single dog, right? Yeah. But then you see those capabilities of like those certain dogs that it comes up, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I totally agree with you about like the rescue thing. Um, I'm a director for a bully breed rescue in our area, and um, we, yeah, we actually did a behavioral euthanasia on one of the dogs that um, we got, and he bit, um, quote unquote, unprovoked. I know dogs don't bite unprovoked but no visual signs to the human so we just made the call we're like you know if it's a community risk um a liability risk like you you just can't like you know so yeah yeah and it's a heavy conversation to have right like talking about like making those calls but i think you know what people miss in that conversation is the resources that go to a dog of that capacity. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately resources are not limitless in rescue. And if the resources are going to that dog, they're not going to a dog who could make a really lovely family pet. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Which, you know, is, is, is heartbreaking, but it's the truth because I was listening to a podcast that actually you reposted and it's um the functional dog breeder yes yeah the functional working collaborative or something yes I can't remember what it's called but um the one with some uh lady her name was yeah Trish McMillan yeah oh my god that was that was such a good episode and like I was like oh my god that needs to be shared shared far and wide because that is very valuable information for people involved in rescue like I was like yes like yeah, not every dog can go to a home. It's just kind of a fact. Um, yeah. And yeah. that's not their fault. That's not their fault. It's, you know, obviously a number of things contribute, but yeah, anyway, it, it is a heavy conversation. Sure. Yeah, right? Okay, so back <laughs> to your blocky-headed dogs. So I want to ask this, because, you know, this is something that I've been asking a lot of people is, what's your comfort with the label Pitbull? Um... So, I mean, I really don't personally care what they're called. Um, 
I know that there's been some information circulating about, um, you know, we shouldn't label them and um, we should stay away from the term pit bull because that refers to the American Pit Bull Terrier, which, um, I mean, I don't call them pit bulls um, personally. Um, I, I just call them kind of bully breeds. I don't know. It's just sort of something that's evolved. But yeah, no, I, I don't really care because I don't think it really matters because you know, if we're talking about dogs as individuals, like a lot of these podcast conversations have gone, that, that kind of, to me, it's like kind of one and the same because, you know, like, yeah, would it matter what you call them? There's, they're the dog. So I don't yeah, know. For sure. For sure. And I think that people just have different comfort levels. I'm perfectly comfortable calling them pit bulls, but, um, I, I, I hear the arguments against it. I really do. You yeah. Know? yeah. Okay. So let's talk about your current dogs more. So, um, so I want to hear from you on this. So how does your community perceive you guys, right? Like when you're out with your bully mixes, like what are the responses you're getting from your community? So like the place where I live right now, I've lived here for just over a year and it's a huge, it's a very heavily saturated dog town. Um, like, if you don't have a dog, like there's something wrong with you here, um, which I mean, you know, might be the case elsewhere, but not in, <laughs> not in, not going there. But anyway, um, yeah, no. So they've been really, really good. Um, especially one of my dogs, uh, my male Sheldon, he is walked uh, with a muzzle and, um, you know, I get people like moving out of the way for me in, in like a nice way, <laughs> which is good. Um, so yeah, we actually haven't had a problem and, and like even finding a place to live, like our landlord was like, oh, I used to have a pit bull. And I was like, oh, well, good. Cause we have to. So, <laughs> um, but I used to live in a much different area. Um, I grew up about an hour South and, um, it's, uh, it's fairly like, I don't want to say wealthy, but kind of like, you know, Lululemons and Starbucks sort of thing, which there's nothing <laughs> wrong with, but like, you know what I mean? Um, so very judgmental there. Um, I got a lot of district phone calls, you know, people like reporting my dogs for incidents and stuff like that. Um, actually, Hemi, um, who I have right now, she was falsely accused of attacking a little white dog. And she was deemed aggressive and um, supposed to have a muzzle on at all times in the district of North Vancouver. And um, sh she didn't do it. It was actually Palmer. So, but she still got um, in trouble. And anyways, yeah. So, but now things are good. <laughs> but it's funny how like just a small difference in area um, can, can make a big difference. Yeah. And that's been a really consistent theme, right? From all these yeah. conversations I've had that like in specific areas, it's welcome. But if you travel outside of that, the, the reaction from the community greatly shifts. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. So I, I want to hear from this. So, so your current dogs, one came from rescue. Did the other one come from a responsible breeder? No. Okay. Oh. Um, one came from like a friend of a friend and it was like, oh, just come see the puppies and that never happens. So um, we decided to take one, which um, won't happen again, but um, she's 
like my soul dog I think people call them like she's just the dog that like I know will have a huge impact on my life um yeah so and then Sheldon came from rescue and we got him about two years old and now he's almost five we're coming up three years uh, next week for having him so yeah yeah so okay so after your experience with training with Palmer um do, do you feel like that shifted your attitude towards training and did you seek out different training with your subsequent dogs I definitely did. I actually um, really decided um, kind of towards the end of Palmer's life after I had had that horrible training experience, I decided, okay, I kind of want to become a dog trainer um, or like a behavior consultant or whatever. So I called um, Dog Tech. Yeah. Yeah. Or I think they're called Dog Biz now or something. Uh, Anyway, I had a consult with them and I was like, how do I do this? Like, how can I become a trainer? Like, I want to help dogs like Palmer. And they, they told me where to go and they said, well, you need to start with education. And I was like, what? (laughs) Really? (laughs) So, um, (laughs) which is so bad, but anyway, um, so then I, I started at catch, uh, canine trainers Academy. So I did their, their basic level course, um, which was super fun. It's, it's pretty basic, but it's definitely very, um, uh, you know, chock full of information. Um, so that's kind of what made me realize that there's a better way to do things. And I got a a little tidbit of, um, you know, training in the, in the dog training scope (laughs) of things. Yeah. Yeah. And then I actually had, um, uh, Renee at Bravo Dog. Um, so she reached out to me over Instagram and we met and she was looking for someone to help us with classes. Um, and she noticed that I had been enrolled in the catch program. So I actually ended up assisting her classes, um, for all just over a year, I think, um, which also was amazing. I learned so much. Um, and it's, it was, it was really nice seeing someone that's such a big advocate for the, the positive reinforcement world. Um, so that was that was a, that actually was probably the biggest impact um, that you know has had on me. <laughs> and then I just started actually um, another course through the International School of Canine Psychology. It's based out of the UK. Yeah. And yeah, so well, I, I'm kinda. doing yeah, I'm currently doing their uh, diploma for canine behavior. So that will be fun too. <laughs> Amazing. That's yeah. so cool. And so like how beautiful that your current dogs get to benefit from all of that. Yes. And you know what actually kind of started like me sort of shifting my thinking was I, I got Hemi as a puppy and I had had all this information from this balanced trainer. And so I, you know, I put, she was like eight, which I think she was even younger than that. Se- six or seven weeks old when I first got her. Not good. But anyway, <laughs> besides the point, um, I put a choke chain on her and then I was like, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. And she was like terrified. She was like, hell no, woman. What the hell are you doing to me? And I was like, Shit, like, I got to I got to do something different here. So that sort of like sparked my interest being like, I need more information. Like, where can I get this information? Like, this is not obviously working for her. So, yeah. And it is I can confidently say that Palmer did benefit from this sort of training for about the last year of his life. 
So he didn't live it all in the balanced training world. <laughs> oh my God. Right. And I feel like that's so many people's stories, you yeah. know what I mean? Because unfortunately, right, the outward appearance of our dogs, um, that elicts a lot of that really outdated, harsh advice. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, okay, you have a pit bull, you have to control him. You have mm -hmm. to do this, you know? Yeah. And I think that as new pit bull owners, um, people are trying to do the best they can for their dogs and unfortunately fall victim to some of those falsities. You know what I mean? That like, and, and, and that's what breaks my heart the most is like these well-meaning people who are doing their best. And unfortunately they're just connected with the wrong trainer. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, yeah, it, you're totally right. And yeah, <laughs> you're totally right. I don't know. Okay. So, um, okay. So I want to hear from you. So, um, how, how do you advocate for the breed now? Right. Because like you're in it now, right. You're a bully head mama. It's just part of the package. Like, what does that look like in your day to day? Like how, how do you try and advocate for the breed in, in, in your community? Um, I think for me, uh, it's like, so I own my own dog walking company, um, uh, here in Squamish. And I think for me, it's just like, you know, putting them in my social media and trying to like normalize just behavior in general, like, and you know, just, yeah, just trying to advocate for them, put them in safe situations. Um, and then through the rescue too, um, you know, finding them good homes and, um, yeah, just, yeah. I think the main thing is just creating just a normalcy for like, dog behavior and like they're animals and, you know um animals use their mouths to communicate sometimes you know um so yeah, yeah. and I have, I have so much respect for how you show up on social media you know because and, and then that's been a really common thing through all these conversations right everyone listening um i think you know is kind of hearing this kind of on repeat but i feel like social media has been an amazing marketing campaign for blocky headed dogs. Cause I feel like, you know, up until like, you know, the big boom of the internet, there was always this, just this headline pitbull attacks, you know, pitbull kills. And there wasn't any more context. And now it's like my feed is just like all this beautiful, like pitbull on couch, pitbull eating ice cream. You know what I mean? Just like, <laughs> you know, these dogs just doing like normal dog stuff and living these like pampered, delicate lives. And I think that that's such a beautiful way to advocate for the breed. And like, I would love to hear from you a little bit more on this because I know that you're a big advocate for, for the muzzle training, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so just tell me, I, I feel like, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about why you decided to muzzle train and like how you're kind of trying to help advocate for that now? Um, the muscle thing started back with Palmer and essentially, um, it was because he had a bite history and, um, you know, um, all it takes is to drop the leash and you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, I decided to muzzle train him. Um, and I got that inspiration from Renee and, you know, seeing all of that, the great info that she puts out too. Um, but yeah, no, I think the main thing is like, it gives them freedom that they may not get otherwise. Yes. I know like 
when Palmer was like between two and three, um, it was at like kind of the peak of everything. And he wasn't, I, I didn't use a muzzle because I didn't really think about it, to be honest. Um, and, and he was like limited. Like we only went on at certain areas at certain times. And um, as soon as, you know, I put the muzzle on, it's like, okay, now we can take a little bit of like, maybe a little bit of risk and like get him into new places and maybe on the long line. And um, you know, Hemi actually, she wears a muzzle when she's off leash. Um, she doesn't have a bite history, but she is selective. Like she doesn't love everybody. Um, I've, she's just never gotten that chance, uh, because of the muzzle. So, I mean, like, it's, it's just kind of one of those no brainers in my mind. Like if you have a dog that needs it, why not use it? We actually have a dog currently right now that's up for adoption with the rescue and and she's muzzle trained and she loves her muzzle. She loves it. She sees it and she's stoked as heck. She's going outside. She's going to explore. Um, and you know, same with Sheldon and he loves it too. So yeah, I mean, I think that's the main point that I would want to stress with muzzles is like, yeah, like I said, you can give them freedom that they wouldn't otherwise have. Like Hemi can go off leash like that. If she wasn't muzzle trained, if I didn't think of using it, she would not be off leash. She wouldn't get that freedom. So it allows her to be a dog sometimes. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. To everything you said, truly. Right. <laughs> and like, you know, everyone listening, I'm, I know you have heard the story of Sunny, but you know, I had a male am staff prior to Waylon, um, who could be very dog aggressive. Right. And, um, you know, to be honest in his early days, I knew nothing. And he kind of did some shady shit with some other dogs that thankfully <laughs> for both of us went without consequence. But once I kind of realized like who he was and his capabilities and, you know, I got an education in dog training and I grew up as a human being, you know, how that, how that kind of goes, um, you know, the muzzle opened up his world. And to your point, right? Like there were situations in which I would never have dreamt of letting him off leash before. Right. But now with the muzzle and it was remarkable, truly, right? Like he could be dog selective, very dog aggressive in some circumstances, but I tell you what, on all of the off leash hikes we did with that muzzle on, he never had any incident. Like he could greet dogs, no problem with that thing on, you know? So I think that, um, I have so much respect for how you showcase that on your social media, because I think it shines such a brilliant light on the possibilities, not what the dog is, is losing by wearing a muzzle. Yeah. And they're not losing anything. <laughs> they're gaining. Trust me. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Okay. So um, I want to hear from you. What is one pitbull myth that you really wish would just like die already? Okay. So the red nose, blue nose. Why is that a thing? Like, no. Anyways, I want to know what your thoughts are on that. The red nose versus the blue nose, like as the label or what? Well, like how people are like, oh, what kind of dog is it? Is it? Uh, oh, it's a red nose pit bull. Like, that's not a thing. Like, is it? What? No. It is weird, right? Like, you realize that's not like an actual characteristic <laughs> of a dog. <laughs> I I would love to hear what they the breeders say about that one, honestly, because they're probably like just cringing. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, it's funny, like, um, I mean, I, I used to sort of believe that, but, well, I, I did used to believe it, but, you know, the color of your dog's nose doesn't determine its breed, you know what I mean? I don't know. 
Well, and there's so much variation, right? And like, I definitely have intentions of talking to breeders. I actually am going to have Wayland's breeder on the podcast. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting, right? And like, I think especially in like the American pit bull terrier realm, right? Because Wayland's an American stature terrier, so that's a little bit different. But um, right, like, I think that it's just been a marketing ploy that has yeah. worked really well. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it works exceptionally well in like the backyard breeding sort of territory where they're, I don't know, to me, when I hear that, like when I hear that on the street, like someone say that to me, I'm like, okay, I don't know. <laughs> like, and like, what else? <laughs> um, but then, yeah, no, I also have others, like it's all in how you raise them, which has come up multiple times. I remember like, I was like thinking of one, like during the podcast, like I was listening to one and I was thinking of one and then she said it. And I was like, no, <laughs> but like there's, yeah, there's, there's only so many, I suppose. Yeah. Right. Unfortunately, there are just a, are a lot surrounding the breed, but I yeah. had not heard that one. So I'm glad you brought that up. Right. The whole like, oh no, this is a red nose uh, pit bull. Like, okay. <laughs> it does have a red nose, but that's all. That <laughs> well, like, and then like the, like, for example, Waylon, your dog, he's such a beautiful specimen, by the way. He's like the picturesque uh, version of like an American Staffordshire Terrier. Like when I think of that, I think of like him as a package. It's so funny. It's awesome. I love it. Dude, um, but like, for example, like his coat color, he's like a red and then, but he's got a black nose, but then people would call him a, a red nose. And I'm like, but what? Like, I don't know. To me, it just doesn't make sense. It's just a bit weird, but yeah. Well, yeah. And then like, that's just kind of like the, I would categorize it the like, the general public interpretation but yes. like when you really get into the nitty-gritty of like breed standard and like acceptable coats like so Wayland technically is a a, a black mask fawn right like yes. that's like the but there's so much that goes into that and that's why I'm so excited to have the conversations with like the breeding realm you know what I mean and yeah. like the breed standard and not just this weird like you know media yeah. perpetuated like oh you got a blue nose pit bull like <laughs> No, I don't, but... Yeah, like, I mean, it's funny. Like, for example, like, I've done Sheldon's DNA, and, like, I don't... He's literally got T-Rex arms. Like, he's... he's They're, like, two inches tall. Like, he's... Well, no, he's actually not. But they look like T-Rex arms in comparison to his body. And he we did his DNA, and he came back with 100% American Staffordshire Terrier. So... There's I don't so know. Variation. That's There's just so a so really variation. shitty bread dog. <laughs> I love you, buddy. He's right here. <laughs> Bless him. Bless him. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, any final thoughts on pit bulls? Um. Oh gosh, I don't really have any. Um. I. I mean, well, I mean, I, that's just a very <laughs> broad question. But um, I don't know. I just think they're awesome, and they're just—it's frustrating because you know. They're just dogs and that's all people. What would you say to like a new pit bull owner? Like as someone who has experience with the breed, who has like experience. Get a freaking positive reinforcement trainer right away. So actually with the rescue, we just, we, uh, in December, 2019, um, a litter of puppies was born in the care of the rescue. And we told all the owners, we're like, these puppies need to go through a force free puppy class. Um, they need to see a trainer. Um, you need to like, you know, get all the resources you can, um, beforehand. Like we want you to set this up before you take the puppy home, because just because of the stigma, the eyes 
the spotlight is on your dog and you need to make sure that, um, you know, you do at least your very best. Obviously there's, you know, more things that go into it, but at least doing your very best to set them up for success. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and I think, you know, that was the whole motivation for starting this podcast, right? Is like wonderful people who own pit bulls, who face stigmas and they're trying to do their best. And I think that, you know, what it really boils down to is that if you can address your individual dog and their needs, you as a team are advocating for the breed, right? And yeah. like, that's all you can do is do the best yeah. for your dog manage them, train them, give them the best life you possibly can. And like, that's advocacy in and of itself. Yeah. And like, if, if that means that the dog, you know, is not comfortable socializing with other dogs, then that's fine. And that, I just, yeah. Like to me, it's like your dog does not need to like other dogs. Why is that something that everyone wants? It's like, no, it, it yeah. It just doesn't need to happen. That's also a stigma I want to go away. <laughs> But that's for another day. <laughs> yes, right? Okay, so Hillary, if my listeners want to connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at, at Squamish Bullies. The, the Squamish Bullies, sorry. Um, and then if you feel like following my business account, it's at Two Blue Tails on Instagram and um, twobluetails.com. Super. And you provide dog walking and dog training services? Um, just dog walking for now. I'm not quite certified comfortably <laughs> to do that. But yeah, just force free private dog walking, uh, mostly for dogs that just need like a little bit of extra um, into them, like with reactivity or something like that. So cool. What an amazing yeah. service. Well, yeah. thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a delight. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co. You can also find us on Facebook at a good feeling dog training, as well as our website, agfdogtraining.com. dog